This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Today marked a grim milestone in the pandemic. Canada moved past 100,000 cases of the novel coronavirus with 100,026 to be exact. The good news, infection rates have slowed in recent weeks. In April, we were seeing about 1,800 new cases a day. Now we're down to 400 or so. Here in Ontario, we've been below 200 a day for nearly a week. Uh, Also, we're getting used to the restrictions that this is placing on our lives. A CAMH survey confirms that while the pandemic is taking a significant toll on our mental health, the number of people who are feeling anxious and depressed has dropped uh, from more than 25% in early May to just over 20% now. So uh, it's a small change, but, you know, it's important. So what do you think? Uh, do you have questions about how to proceed from here? Are you sick of all these restrictions or, you know, have you just gotten used to the new normal? That's a big word, the new normal, two words. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'm joined by Dr. Joshua Tepper, President and CEO of North York General Hospital, and Dr. Steve Jordans, who is a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto Scarborough. Hi, thanks so much for being with us. Great to be with you. Good afternoon. Okay, great. Let's start with Dr. Tepper. So, uh, in your hospital, are you seeing the lessening of the pandemic? Is it something that's really apparent in the way things are operating? Yes, fortunately, fortunately it is. Uh, you know, I think I've, the, the numbers across the province and even now Toronto are starting to improve. Uh, and we are fortunately seeing less people in the ICU, less people on ventilators across the province, and overall just less people admitted, which is all good news. Uh huh. And I remember that at the height of things, there were a lot of hospitals that were saying that their emergencies were empty, but yours was not one of those. You were pretty full. What's the situation like there? Yeah, I mean, we were down for a little bit, but it started to come up again. And, you know, I think in some ways that's a good thing. We're starting to see people uh, with more of the lumps and bumps and falls and broken bones, which means that people are getting back out a bit. Um, and we're also starting to see more people come in with the heart attacks and strokes that we had seen go down and, and worried us because uh, we worried people were not coming in when they needed help. So uh, we're not back to our completely normal volumes, but like others, we've started to see a, a steady shift upwards. Okay, let's bring in Dr. Jordans. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you, Libby? Fine. So are we getting used to living like this? Well, I mean, certainly part of the original anxiety was the unfamiliar. So so generally, our brain likes to be able to predict how things are going to go. Um, I mean, literally, when you open the door to your house, your brain expects something to be on that other side. Uh, and when COVID first hit, none of us knew what to expect for tomorrow. We didn't know where where this was going. We still 
don't to some extent, but I think, you know, what was just this wide scale fear of, of unknown starts to feel a little more familiar to us. We're, we have our feet under us a little bit more about the right ways to behave uh, in this situation. And especially that little light at the end of the tunnel that we're starting to see that, that the doctor was just talking about. You know, I think all of those things are making people feel a little more hopeful uh, at this period of time. Yeah. Are people getting lockdown fatigue and how is that playing out? Yeah, I, I, I certainly am. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of us do feel that with the complete emptiness of events and everything. Our life feels a little blah. Um, you know, it just does, it's not punctuated by the normal markers that we have that kind of tell us we're, we're going through life in a certain way. Um, and so I think a lot of people are very hungry to have something approaching, you know, a, a summer where we have events and we have things to do. Um, I also think, though, that this is, this is a critical time that, you know, we're, we're all going to be tempted to, to bend a lot of these rules, but the longer we can hold on, I, I always encourage people to think about the very beginning of this virus where we heard things like, you know, if we'd went into lockdown a week or two earlier, it would have translated into, you know, potentially hundreds of lives saved. I think the same thing holds now. If, if the longer we can hold on to these restrictions, um, we're just ultimately going to be saving some lives and, and getting back to a more permanent new normal rather than having to backtrack. Joshua, what are you seeing? Are people relaxing and perhaps relaxing too much? Um, we're definitely, you know, it's hard to say within the hospital. Within the hospital, we're very, very vigilant. Uh, we continue to use PPE very appropriately. Uh, we're incredibly cautious with uh, how visitors come in and how they're appropriately using masks. So within the hospital, I think, uh, you know, we and our long-term care homes, we're, we're really remaining vigilant. Uh, but, uh, you know, out and about in society, I, I you know, I, I think we do worry, and I, I certainly agree. We, we need to remain uh, very cautious. I think some of the data coming out of certain states in, in the U.S. in the last week are very concerning. I think Texas, you know, thousands of new cases a day, same with Florida mm-hmm. and other places. So I think, um, you know, we can look south for some examples of what we do not want our curve to start to look like. And uh, that's not intended as a criticism, just as something that we need to uh, be pretty mindful of here and, and remain careful about physical distancing uh, and wearing masks and hand hygiene. Okay, I have I have to say that, uh, you know, uh, in my family, we've started to see a few people sort of outside in the backyard distance, but nobody is in any big hurry to start hugging people. I don't have 10 people that I'm hugging now. <laughs> Good. <laughs> that, but, but I think there is, there is a play out that, that uh, is distinguished a little bit by age. You know, the, those who are, of us who are older, I think, feel like caution is, is where we want to be. And, and there's a reason for that. For most of us, we have pretty established social connections. Our, our sort of social world is, is fixed. And, and sometimes, you know, interacting on Zooms and stuff is, while not fulfilling, you know, maybe enough. But for the 17-year-old to 25-year-olds, um, their lives is all, are all about their social connections. That's, you know, going into COVID, if, if you could get into their brain and say, you know, what percent of time are they thinking about something, they were thinking about social interactions a lot. So it's been a very big ask for, for the young. Um, it's been harder on them than it has been on, on many of us. And, and those are the ones where I think we're seeing the most rule bending. And, and so we have this sort of negative dynamic where, 
where you know those people who probably are hugging right now are the are the young people, um, but they have the potential to to bring back anything to the older population that are vulnerable. So so we have that nasty kind of age dynamic that's part of this whole thing. Well, I, that's one of the things I want to look at. You know, when it's all over, yeah. I have to say. Speaking of Zoom, I know that personally at the beginning of the pandemic, we really embraced. Zoom to stay in touch with our friends and uh, ended up having more contact with friends in different cities than we normally would. But at this point, it's like, oh, I can't be bothered. It's <laughs> it's too hard. Yeah, and 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 we're and we're sensing more that it's you know it, it was a better than nothing. And so at that point where we were starting to think, oh my goodness, we're 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 isolated in our home. It did give us an out from our home. But I think the more we interact on these systems, the more the nonverbal part, which is really the emotional connection. That's where we really feel connected to that other individual. A lot of the nonverbals aren't right. You can't really look somebody in the eye in Zoom when you're speaking to them. Um, and, and so a lot of those things are missing, and I think we're starting to feel that now. It's starting to feel like less of a stand-in um, than it did at first. Okay, I'm going to take one call. I just want to quickly comment quickly on your age comment that, you know, the 17 to 25-year-olds are the one who need physical contact and social connection and others at other ages don't. Uh, you know, I, I actually think there's pretty good evidence, respectfully, about uh, the isolation of senior citizens, mm-hmm. uh, the impact of loneliness on both physical and mental health. And so I, I just think we want to be mindful that a lot of our older seniors are uh, do live in, in periods of isolation and that that does actually, even at older stages, has a very significant uh, impact as well on mental and physical health. And I worry a lot, not just about those who are in long-term care homes, but those who are older who are living in isolation uh, and have a lot of fear uh, about what breaking isolation might do to them uh, in terms of their fundamental health and and actually being able to, you know, contract a serious illness. So I I think across all ages, uh, isolation has a real uh, issue at all ages. Thank you for pointing that out. That's really important. Let's go to the phones. We've got Dennis in Brampton. Hi, Dennis. Hi, Libby, and thank you for taking my call. I'm not anxious, but I'm getting increasingly frustrated and angry with uh, people who are failing to wear masks in public places that where social distancing can be a challenge. And I'm not speaking about those who have bona fide medical issues. Fair enough. Uh, but there are a number of jurisdictions now that have made masks mandatory, and I don't understand why the province is delaying or taking their time with this issue, uh, given that we know that masks will prevent the spread of the disease. Uh, that's my comment. Okay, Dennis, thanks for that. Yeah, I've, I've asked a number of officials, mayors, you know, well, why don't you just make it mandatory? And they seem loath to do that. I am not sure why. I guess one of the issues is they don't really have staff to enforce it. Mm. Let's hear from Bruce in Etobicoke. Hi, Bruce. Hi, thanks. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to say, concerning the masks, I've tried wearing a mask. I found them very, very hot. What I would like to wear is one of the, I've seen people wearing those uh, plastic shields. I think that's something that I would consider. But the reason why I called was this, I think that I've had something over the last month, and but I never had like a temperature, and I never had a cough, but I had this weird feeling when I'd wake up in the morning in the middle of my chest, and I'd go outside and I'd take about four or five deep breaths, and then I'd force a few coughs, and then I would feel okay. But I just phoned to say that I always have spring allergies 
tree and grass pollen, and I've had no allergy symptoms whatsoever. So I'm wondering, did my body kick in and, and did my whole met, 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 metabolism change because of this virus? Uh I can't tell you that, Bruce, maybe because you were spending more time indoors. I'll leave that to the doctor, but we can't really do a diagnosis over the phone. Thanks for your call. I don't know. He was probably inside sure. more like all the rest of us. Uh, mm. I have to tell you, my allergies are uh, just normal. <laughs> They're yep. here. I see many people in my clinic who uh, have their routine, but I'm glad I'm glad he's having a good season and hope he has more. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's uh that's what we uh that's what we hope for everybody uh just uh we have a few minutes left and getting back to the conversation about uh, the need for hugging and loneliness um i mean yeah i i would have thought that it's something that affects older people more than younger people so if i if i can in fact jump in on that because i didn't mean to imply it quite in in the way um that it sounded, I think. So we all need our social connections, and our social connections are our go-to when we're when we're under stress. Um, they are our most natural way of kind of dealing with and, and distributing that stress, and that's that's true across the board. What I was really implying is with respect to going out and find and creating new social connections. Um, you know, literally growing your social network. That's what these young kids are all about, and that's what their focus is about. Whereas the rest of us can you know, sort of rely on the social networks we already have created and be reaching out. And so most of us our age, it's it's, fam- it's family, it's really close friends we've had for a long time. And I absolutely agree that, that those older people, especially if you know anybody who, who may be on their own, you know, really critical to reach out and connect with them. So so it's not the, yeah, that, that social connection is critical at all ages, but the building of the social network is what the young people are doing. And, and by keeping them in, that's what they're not able to do. And, and they feel more of a, a pull to that than we do at the older ages. Uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, and we only have about a minute left. Uh, the first caller was talking about feeling angry at people who don't mm-hmm. wear masks. I think a lot of people uh, are are feeling angry at whatever. Uh, am I right? It's the fight or flight reflex. That's what anxiety is. It's, it's we're feeling like we need to do something. And so we're right at this edge of the, our sympathetic nervous system is engaged. And it's very easy. You know, we're hearing domestic violence increasing and things like that. It's very easy for someone to take out this frustration, this desire to fight the virus in some way. Um, and those of us who aren't doctors obviously cannot do that in a direct way. And it can be misplaced. Yeah. Okay, uh, Dr. Tepper, I'm going to give you the last word. What do you want to tell people about how to keep going with this uh, since everybody's telling us it may get worse? Yeah, I think just continue to, to do the things for your physical health, um, such as wearing masks, hand hygiene, avoid touching your face, and physical distancing. And also pay attention to the your mental wellness as well. And uh, that can be exercise, uh, that can be social connections, that can be meditation. Uh, but be mindful of both things that your body's under stress for right now. Okay. And that is all the time we have. Thank you so much, Dr. Steve Jordans and Dr. Joshua Tepper. No problem. Thank you, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.